We prepare now for that third trimester of worship where we will uh, commune with God through his word. We are led uh, to that time again through Psalm 68 verses 34 and 35. Ascribe strength to God, his majesty is over Israel and his strength is in the skies. O God, you are awesome from your sanctuary. The God of Israel himself gives strength and power to the people. Blessed be God. God gives us strength and power through his spirit, and the means which he uses for that is his word. So as Brian comes up, give attention now to his word. It is good to be uh, back with you again, and I just want to extend a personal thanks for all you who have greeted me this morning. It's, uh, I appreciate it, and uh, am, am thankful. Um, uh, another quick personal note, uh, my granddaughter, our granddaughter, um, is here visiting this week, and so maybe you'll get a chance to gr- greet her as as well. Uh, the topic in the sermon this morning is a little different than last week. I've been uh, teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount hits very practically Christian character and how we live with with one another. And so although we'll be taking our passage from Ephesians, uh, it is inspired by the very practical instruction by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Please open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. I'll be reading verses 17 through 32, and then we'll focus on verses 31 and 32 uh, in our sermon. Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 17. This is God's Word. It is His perfect, infallible Word. God has given us His Word that we might know Him, and that we might love Him, and that we might live rightly before Him. Hear now God's Word. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, and practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. As the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up and as fits the occasion, 
that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let us pray. Our Father, as we consider your word this morning, Lord, may you implant your word in our heart. May you change our heart and our lives, especially as we consider the topic of forgiveness. Lord, we know that you lead in all things with forgiveness, that you are characterized by mercy and grace by steadfast love and faithfulness. And so, Lord, we pray that you would in our lives work to conform us to the image of Christ, that you would put forgiveness and mercy and grace into our hearts. Lord, we are humble before you. We are dependent upon you. We can do nothing of ourselves. So we ask that by the power of your Spirit, you would guide us, and that you would direct us to worship you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, I'm sure that uh, many of you are familiar with Corey Ten Boom of uh, The Hiding Place. Uh, she, while she was put into a concentration camp in World War II for, uh, for hiding Jews. And perhaps some of you have heard her stories of how God gave her the gift of granting forgiveness. And one story stands out. It was after the war, and she was speaking in Germany. And at the end of the, their talk, of her talk, she says, I saw him working his way forward. One moment, I saw the overcoat and brown hat, and the next a blue uniform and a cap with skull and crossbones. It all came back to me. The place was Ravensbrück, and that man had been a guard, one of the cruelest of guards. And then the man reached her and said, Fräulein, you said you were at Ravensbrück. I was a guard there. But since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did. And then he said, I have prayed to God and I have asked God that he would grant that I might ask forgiveness even of one of my very victims. And he said, Fräulein Ten Boom, will you forgive me? Now that's a, that's a pretty bold request. You know, why is this man not cowering in a corner someplace from all the shame and the hurt and all the sorrow that he caused? How can this man even show his face, much less to one of his victims? Well, perhaps he has experienced the real and eternal forgiveness that comes in the gospel. Perhaps he has faced his sins 
and the utter corruption in his heart that would lead him to do such cruel things. Perhaps he has heard those most precious of words from his Lord Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Perhaps he has experienced the joy and the freedom that comes with forgiveness. Perhaps God has erased his guilt and shame. Perhaps he was in a prison of his own making. A prison of sin and of the impossibility of erasing the past. And perhaps Jesus did erase the past. And perhaps Jesus set the prisoner free. The question is, is the gospel real? Can forgiveness really work such a miracle in the life of a man such as this? Is there freedom in Christ? Well, the Apostle Paul answers, yes, forgiveness is real. He answers, yes, Jesus sets the prisoner free, even from guilt and shame that would lock a man in bondage. In 1 Timothy 1.13, Paul says, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. You know, Paul himself uh, separated families. He caused the imprisonment and the death of Christians. And yet, he experienced real forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, think about his boldness in preaching the gospel, in his ability to go through persecutions. And where did this boldness come if, if it didn't come from forgiveness in Christ Jesus. The gospel is real. And this brings us back to Corey Ten Boom. How would she answer this man's request for forgiveness? Well, this is what she says. She says, I stood there. I whose sins had again and again been forgiven, and I could not forgive. But I had to do it. I knew that. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And still I stood there with a coldness clutching my heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed. She said, I can lift my hand. I can do that much. Lord, you supply the feeling. And so she says, mechanically, I lifted and stretched out my hand to the hand that was stretched out to me. She says, as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder. It raced down my arm, joined my hands, our hands. And then this feeling of warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. With all my heart, yes, I forgive you. She says, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But I realized it was not my love. 
it was from the Lord. Here was an encounter between a sinner and a victim. And the end was freedom for both. It was the joy that comes from the freedom of forgiveness in the Lord. Now, what do you suppose would have happened if Corey Ten Boom had not forgiven? Scripture tells us very clearly, bitterness would have begun to grow in her heart. If she persisted in unforgiveness, perhaps her entire ministry of teaching the gospel would come crashing down. Hypocrisy might have won the day, and Corey Ten Boom would have again found herself in prison, only this time a spiritual prison of her own making due to unforgiveness. Now the question is, what about you? Have you experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ? Has Jesus set you free? Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And so the question in your life, is the gospel real? Have you been forgiven through the blood of the Lamb? Have your sins been cast into the depths of the sea, never to return? And a harder question, are you in a spiritual prison of unforgiveness? Have you been hurt? And are you hanging on to the sins of another? Are you estranged from one you love? Is there bitterness in your heart? that festers and eats away at your joy in Christ Jesus? And would you like to be set free from bitterness by the joy of forgiveness? And even more, would you like to set someone close to you free from guilt and shame? You know, Corey Ten Boom faced a very significant task of forgiveness. She had suffered greatly, her sister had died in that concentration camp. But I'm not so sure that you and I don't face an equal task of forgiveness. You know, this concentration camp guard uh, was not a close friend, but you and I face the task of forgiving those closest to us. Repeated sins. You know, perhaps your father was not what he should be. Perhaps he left you with disappointment that has plagued you for years. Perhaps your husband has sinned against you in the same way so many times you have lost hope of change. Perhaps your wife has become distant. Perhaps you have been hurt by those you thought you could trust at church. You know, it's interesting, Psalm 55, psalmist says this, My heart is in anguish. For it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it, but it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. You know, you let someone into your life, and the joy is so much greater, but the hurt is so much deeper. Now the question is this, if you have been forgiven, if the gospel is real, don't you want to act in such a way as to grant forgiveness. 
to follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps this passage is for you here today. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So there are two roads in life, and you can't be on both one both. You can't be on the road of bitterness and on the road of forgiveness. God calls you through this passage to the road of forgiveness. And before we look at specifics, uh, let me just speak to God's purpose in your life. Ephesians 1.4 says, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world so that, for the purpose that, to the end that, we should be holy and blameless before Him. It is God's specific purpose that you and I should be holy and blameless before Him. And it's interesting that before Him means before His very face, to behold the glory of God. And I can say with certainty that God will accomplish His purposes in your life. It is a promise. God will not let you languish in the sin of bitterness and unforgiveness. And we can take comfort in that promise. And I know that you and I, we want our lives to be marked by compassion. We want to be on the road of forgiveness. We want to give grace. But specifically, how can you do that if you've been hurt very deeply? How can you change roads, especially if you have a lot invested in the road of bitterness? And some of us have years invested in that road. So firstly, we consider the context of this scripture, which tells us how people change. If you look back with me at Ephesians 4.17, it sets forth this truth. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. You see, there is a way of life. It is generated by a hard heart. It is a way of darkness. But then in verse 23 it says, Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so there is a way of life that is generated by God. Generated in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. And so the command is to put off the old self and to put on the new self. Now, clearly that is only by the power of the Holy Spirit. But this passage is designed to give us examples to show us the way. Verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. In other words, to put off falsehood, you can't just be silent. To put off falsehood, you must actively speak the truth. And speak the truth in love. 
You see, honesty is a matter of the heart. You can't leave dishonesty in the heart without it showing up in the life. And then in verse 28 it says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. How does the thief change? By working and giving generously. Not just by being neutral, by a change in his heart that says, I want, I take joy in giving. And then he'll no longer take. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. How can slander and gossip be overcome? Again, not by leaving the heart unchanged, not by being silent, but by actively speaking that which imparts grace, that which is good and fitting for the situation. So do you see a pattern here? There is a pattern. The old man is put off by the putting on of the new man. And we need to keep that in mind as we consider these last two verses. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. How can anger and wrath and bitterness be put away? Only by putting on tenderheartedness, kindness, forgiveness. See, it takes a heart that is tenderhearted and kind. And that is where Jesus will lead us. Now, there's a reason why this contrast is given last. It is the pinnacle of the Christian life. To be kind and forgiving is to be godly in the very true sense of the word. Corey Ten Boom, by the direction of her heart, by her will, extended her hand. We must have a heart of love that takes joy, takes joy in God and so that godliness flows out from us. So let me just summarize. The way of change is the way of substitution. You cannot just give up anger and bitterness. You must substitute kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. And so secondly, we need to ask directly, what is forgiveness? What does it look like? Forgiveness is the word, uh, Greek word, aphiomi. It means to separate and banish away. It means that God has cast your sins far away into the deepest ocean. It means that He put your sins on Jesus so that Jesus could condemn sin in the flesh and those sins are gone. It means that Jesus can see you without your sin. He sees your heart. He sees what He is molding you into in the image of Christ. Now, if that's 
forgiveness, then surely our forgiveness of one another looks something like that. Surely we must be able to separate out a person's sins, to see them something in the way that God sees them, to see them without their sin that hurt you. You know, very often in Scripture, uh, forgiveness is compared to uh, forgiving a debt. Uh, You know, you can think of uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so we ask, what does it mean to be forgiven of a debt? Well, it means that you don't have to pay it back. It means that the obligation is gone. It means that you're free. In Matthew 18... Uh, is the, I guess it's the quintessential story of, of forgiveness. Um, it is the rich ruler that forgave uh, his servant. It says, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, about uh, 200,000 years worth of wages. It's a big debt. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had. And so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now we notice the key word, the master released him, and forgave him the debt. It means he was set free. He was no longer under the obligation of the debt. And we notice that it was out of pity, it was out of compassion, it was out of tender-heartedness that the master forgave him. And so we go turn back to uh, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. How do we cancel a debt due to sin. Or on the other side, how, to, how do we exact payment? Because either we are going to forgive or we are going to exact payment for every hurt that is incurred against us. You know, especially if someone close to you hurts you, the initial response is, of course, uh, along the lines of anger, vengeance, You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You think you can do that to me and get away with it? Well, you can't. I'm going to let you know there's a price to pay. You can hurt me, but wait till you see how I can hurt you. I'm going to see to it that you can see my anger, that you can hear my anger. And then we'll see what happens. You know, does any of this ring true? Have you felt the rush of anger or of vengeance? The desire to get even? The desire to exact a payment? You know, it it can take uh, very passive forms as well. Uh, Can we just make up and, and be friends? No, I don't feel like it. Can we sit and talk for a while? I'm busy. Can you watch the kids? Can you go grocery shopping with me? Why would I do that after what's been going on? You know, these things are painful. 
uh, even to say, but you know that they go on. They are the disease that destroys relationships. And you know that they come from a spirit of exacting payment for a hurt. In contrast, forgiveness cancels the debt. Forgiveness refuses to exact payment. Why? Well, because Jesus already forgave that sin. He already paid the price. He already cast that sin into the depths of the sea. And who are we to expect more than God? There is a reason that kindness and tenderheartedness are so closely associated with forgiveness. You want to forgive? What do you do? You substitute the way of godliness. And specifically in this verse, you substitute tenderheartedness. If we consider the word tenderhearted in verse 32, it means a heart that is soft. It means a heart that the condition of another can get in. Well, and that's the source of compassion. We can feel, we can see the others struggle with sin. We can see the pain in their lives. We can see the hurt caused by their own sin. See, if we can see this, if we can see all of our need for God, it will be hard not to have compassion. It'll be hard to exact payment. It'll be hard not to forgive. You know, another way to think of this is to substitute sadness for anger. Sadness at a fallen world and the pain caused by sin. You see, this will lead us to humble compassion. I have a a saying in life, and it goes like this, uh, we're all in this together. In, In other words, every single one of us is struggling and working to serve the Lord and to endure the troubles of this earth, to be godly, to be kind and tender hearted to one another. And if we're all in this together, don't you want to be a help? Don't you want to extend tender hearted kindness and love to, to one another? You know, it's interesting all the way back when I first read in verse 18 of this, uh, of this passage. It says, the way of the old man comes from a specific source. It comes from a hard heart. A hard heart is impervious to the condition of another. It can't get in. And so, therefore, we can't extend compassion. Then next, this passage says that we must substitute for bitterness, kindness. And kindness here has a specific meaning. It means helpful. It means to be pleasant. It means to be useful. Now, let me ask, is it useful? Is it helpful? Is it pleasant to express anger? Will you bring about more godliness by anger or by forgiveness? James 1.20 says, The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know, we, we have to understand that when we respond in anger rather than in forgiveness, 
it is always about control. Always. It is always about saying, I don't want to be hurt again. I'm going to take control. But listen to this. Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. To turn to tenderheartedness and kindness is to trust God. To trust that God has it in control, that God can take care of you. If there's justice, that God can exact justice. You know, Matthew 10.29 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father. God will take care of you. You can put your trust in him. And that's pointed to directly in this passage. It says, put on tenderheartedness, kindness, forgiveness, for, for the reason that God in Christ has forgiven you. So where is the source and the strength of kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness? It is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in his forgiveness of you. It is in his promise to provide all that you need. Philippians 4.19 And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Kindness shown instead of anger or wrath is useful and helpful. It is giving from the overflow of the love that God has given into your heart. You know, that's, that's why James says uh, we are to count it all joy when we meet various trials. We are to count it all joy because God is giving us an opportunity to be tender-hearted, kind, forgiving. First Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep loving one another since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, how does love cover a multitude of sins? It is precisely by forgiveness. It is precisely by offering kindness and tenderheartedness, by refusing to exact a payment, but instead to cancel a debt and give forgiveness. You know, the principle in Acts uh, 20:35, Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give love than to receive love. It is more blessed to give kindness than to receive kindness. It is more blessed to give tenderheartedness than to receive. You know, there are, there are a mountain of books written on uh, forgiveness, but I think they come down to this. Just let it go. Mark eleven twenty five, And whenever you stand praying... Forgive if you have anything against anyone 
so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Whenever you pray, and that means precisely whenever you pray. If you have anything against anyone, and that's anything and anyone, forgive. We are called at all times to forgive because that is the way of the Lord. So the way of change is by the way of substitution. It is not just to stop the bad. It is to substitute in your heart tenderheartedness, kindness, forgiveness. This is the way by the power of the Spirit to a new heart. Now before I conclude, I need to mention a few uh, exceptions just so we... Uh, they're not part of this sermon, but church discipline is real. There are circumstances in which the church must step in. Civil punishment is real. There are circumstances in which the civil government must step in. Forgiveness is not the same thing as forgetting. Now, it does mean that you do not consciously take another sin and hold it up uh, before your eyes. But if you think about it, if, if you've completely forgotten, then what's the need to forgive? You see, the power of forgiveness that God gives you is the power to forgive those things that you still remember. Now, it is clear that reconciliation requires real repentance matched with real forgiveness. For significant sins, you can forgive in your heart and yet not be fully reconciled. You see this attitude, well, I'll forgive them when they forgive me. You know, what does that do other than give someone else power in your heart? It gives them rule in your, in your heart to control when and how you're going to forgive. And God says, only the Lord rules in the hearts of men. Your heart is free to forgive at all times. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, forgive. Let me conclude with a, with a warning and a promise. If you remember the servant that was forgiven 10,000 talents, you know, I suspect, what happened next. It says, when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, about three months' wages. And seizing him, he began to choke him. Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and threw him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now, the, the language in this parable is amazing. It is unmistakable. It says that he seized the man. He seized him by the neck. He choked him. It says that he threw him in prison. The language is intended to convey that the, the unforgiving servant became cruel. And this is the warning. It is not possible to remain unforgiving in your heart and not become cruel. In Ephesians 4.31, it shows up in the word malice, with all malice. 
if malice is a settled evil in the heart. It is a step beyond bitterness. And the warning is this, don't go there. The promise is just as amazing. If you forgive, tenderheartedness and kindness come with it. It will transform your heart into godliness. It is the very means to banish anger and bitterness from your heart. And we must always remember that this is God's work. That God promises that He will accomplish the work of making us holy and blameless in His sight so that we can be before Him for all eternity. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, it is our earnest prayer that you would fill our hearts with tender-hearted, kind compassion. That we might forgive our brothers and sisters. That we might be conformed into the image of Christ. That we might reflect your godliness and so bring you glory. That is our great prayer and her desire this day. In Jesus' name, amen.